Welcome to the Louis Talks podcast, where I do what I do best, chat and talk to people. And today on the podcast with me, I have got a guy called Mark McCulloch, the food and drink marketeer. Uh, I've been following Mark for quite a while on LinkedIn. He puts out some brilliant content, um, talks a lot about trends in the food and drink industry, has his own podcast, been on lots of other podcasts and I've listened to him on his own podcast and as a guest um, and think he's had such an incredible diverse experience and comes from more of a traditional marketing background, has had experience in um, lastminute.com and uh, Barclays and many other big businesses and then ended up getting into the food and drink industry via Yo Sushi and has worked with Pret and many, many other big food brands. So I just really wanted to get him on, have a conversation about food and drink. Obviously, I'm incredibly passionate about food and drink as a chocolatier and chef and I thought, uh, what a great conversation to have. And I, well, enjoy this conversation with Mark. I'm sure you'll take a lot from it. I know I certainly did. And there's a huge amount of knowledge in this podcast. There's books and podcasts and all sorts of other things to go away and look into and research. Um, I will put all of the links below in the podcast. But uh, yeah, please enjoy this fantastic interview with Mark. Hi, Mark. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, as you know, I've been sort of following you on LinkedIn for quite a while. Um, love seeing all of your posts and content about the food and drink industry. And so just to start off, um, please tell the listeners what you do and a little bit about your story and how you ended up in this fantastic industry. Yeah, well, um, you've caught me on a, a dress down day so that, you know, the, the hair's not as good as it could be. I'm not dressed up as much as I might be. Um, I'm, I'm suffering from a bit of the flu at the moment, so apologies on the sound uh, of the voice. Um, but what I'm doing at the moment, um, yeah, quite interesting. It's, it's sort of flexing um, over time, which is, is, is getting, you know, sort of quite exciting and, and, and bringing lots of new adventures and things like that. So, I guess my plan had always been that I would start out and have an agency, you know, after client life. And I'd have about 20 people. I had my eye on this particular office in Brighton that looked sort of sideways onto the sea. Um, and that was the plan. And, and I had this wonderful book called um, What's Stopping You? And I think it was by Robert Kelsey, I want to say. Um, and anyway, what it says in, within that is, what's the last job that you want to have? And then you work backwards from there. So a few years ago, I was a bit unsure going back in my, my career when I was on the inside, if you like. I was at Yosushi. And um, basically when I was there, I was a little bit unsure what I was wanting to do. And, you know, so I thought, I'll read this when I'm on holiday. I don't, I'm not usually a reader. You know, I'm, I'm going through a mini MBA at the moment. And I enjoy watching the videos. I absolutely hate the reading part of things. So I'd rather someone just told me, you know, like, you know, so like an audio book or something. So anyway, within this book, it said about this, but it also said in a 15 year sort of life plan, what did you want to do? And then work backwards, as I say. But then it was all things like, what front door will you have? What will your driveway be like? Will you have so many kids? Will you not have kids? Will you have a dog? Will you, you know? And this really sort of built it up in my mind. And without sounding to, you know, new age or new world or whatever, you know, when you look at great sports people, they've imagined the shot before they've done it, you know? So whether it's Michael Jordan or whether it's, you know, I don't know, Ian Woosnam going back 
golf or you know whoever the, the latest people are now. Um, and in fact, I was just watching a documentary on Maradona um, just before you phoned, so I was trying to chill watching that. So you know those great people have, have visioned it because if you don't have the, the plan, so. Really, I knew I wanted to be based in brand and marketing and digital and social. I knew I liked variety. I knew I liked not being my own boss. I don't mean it that way, but I liked my freedom. Like, I don't really like sitting behind a desk or, or marching to someone else's tune as much. Um, and I knew that I liked speaking and I knew that I liked broadcasting. Um, you know, radio is a, a massive, uh, without sounding, you know, a little bit to ham radio or, you know, sort of hospital radio or anything like that. But, you know, radio is a massive part of my life, music and all that. So I kind of added these things together with a, a life coach. And this was after I'd done it through this book, you know. Um, but the punchline on the book, actually, going back to that, was I went all the way back. And the killer thing in this book, without spoiling it, was it said, what are you going to do tomorrow to make all of these things happen? So as soon as I got back from my holiday, um, I went and handed in my notice to, to, to Yosushi to start the next thing. So I always sort of like stepping stones, be it like, you know, whether it's Sonic the Hedgehog or, or Super Mario Brothers or whatever it is, and, you know, just those stepping stones to get to the boss level. Um, and, and I guess that's where I'm at now. So with this business consultant that I saw, he was really fascinating because he just could stand above the whole thing and just say, Right, here's you. You're going to have a portfolio bid. It's a little bit like Harry Potter, you know. You're going to be Gryffindor, or you know. He just kind of plonked a hat on and said, "This is what you are." So, from that day forward, it was like, right, I do six or seven things. Um, but the real money, I suppose, comes in from consulting, um, and then on top of that, you get a little bit of network, so that helps. Um, and then the rest of it, I guess, I'm really seeing is personal brand building or business development to feed the other part, if you see what I mean. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And there's actually quite a big call at the moment. Interestingly, with all the B word that's going on and all these things, but B2B um, is becoming something I'm getting asked more and more and more and more about. You know, how can these B2B companies penetrate into the restaurant industry or the hotel industry or so that's quite an interesting one because the B2B people always feel that they should play second fiddle or they should have boring marketing and I don't get that. You know, that doesn't you know that doesn't scan for me. And also they'll say things like, Well we shouldn't be on social media or we shouldn't and it's like, well of course you should you know, like because people aren't living their life siloed like that anymore, you know. Um I forget your other parts to your question. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I rambled on. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I think um, it absolutely answered. I mean, I think the the thing is sort of, was food always what you wanted to go into? What sort of age did you know that this was the industry that you really wanted to focus on? Uh, no, it wasn't at all. Um, I wanted to do music. Well, initially I wanted to do sport. Like I did, I mean, bigger size now, to lose a few pounds, but... Back in the day, I was pretty decent at basketball, and I, I thought something might happen with that. Um, and then music was it really? So I became, yeah, just sort of playing, listening. And then once you're old enough to go to gigs, you know, there's nothing more exciting because you're discovering. I mean, girls, boys, whatever you're into, but you know, for me, you know, girls, and you're discovering 
beer and you're discovering late night and you're discovering rock and roll and independence and all these things. And, and back then, I don't know if it's like this now with music, I don't want to sound like an old guy, but back then it was all tribes. You know, you were a Stone Roses guy and you dressed like that, or you were a Oasis or you were a punk or you were a blur or you were, you know, and that reflected so much in who you were and what you did and what you read and what you watched and how, you know, so you'd rather be watching Quadrophenia or you'd be, you know, watching some 60s psychedelic movie or something. So I like that and I like the family tree. I mean, the thud of a bass drum when you go into a venue and the roadies are either at a festival, I mean, festival's even better because a bit of grass in your beer and, you know, all the, you know, normal grass and, and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, that thud of the drum right in the middle of your, in your chest um, as, they're, as they're checking everything out in an empty field, you know, those kind of things are really exciting. But my first jobs were with music. Um, so, you know, I've been dead lucky in that I've visualised something and I've made it happen. And then I'm a bit like, oh, what's next then? Because, you know, you're luckily all these things are always coming true in the main. So with the music one, it was disappointing because you got paid so little. Um, you realised how cutthroat an industry it was. Um, it was before streaming and stuff like that, really. Um, the internet was only kind of happening. So this would have been 97 or something like that. Um so then fast forward and I thought, because I guess there's a few ways you can go. You can go with sort of sleeping with your best friend thing with music. It was a bit like, oh, got a bit too close. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, uh, keep that as a hobby. Great. Then there's, all right, is there another industry that I could get into that I'll love and I'll make that my professional thing? Um, and then there's just marketing right across the bottom. So I thought I better get good at marketing first. And then you can always sort of deviate because marketing's marketing's market. You know, once yeah, you put yeah, the yeah. first thing was a marketing, it doesn't matter if it is, you know, Diet Pepsi or it's a Wonder Bra or it's a light bulb or, you know, it doesn't matter. So, uh, yeah, so basically went to lastminute.com eventually after a few agency jobs. Didn't really learn about marketing, if I'm honest. Um, the discipline of it, I learned about digital and I learned about digital marketing, which was all really new. Um, and I also learned about brands. So I was really lucky. I got introduced to a guy called Robert Bean. So Robert worked on things like, um, it's good to talk BT for any older people, um, Ultimate Drive Machine BMW, Power of Dreams Honda, Make a House Home Homebase, Deshum, uh, he worked on as well, and these kind of things. So he taught me, my, my, my title was actually Head of Brand. Um, but I didn't know what brand meant at all until I met him. So he came in and taught me about brand, meaning a promise delivered, and then a process for you to define your brand. And we had basically had, I think we had 28 brands at lastminute.com, and we had to get it down to a number, it didn't matter how many, but a number that then wouldn't compete with each other. Because what Simon Thompson, the CMO, who's an incredible, you know, one of the most, the most incredible market I've ever met, he just nailed it when he said, look, we're, we're actually fighting against each other's brands. We're betting on the same keyword and we're pushing the price up. That's madness, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that was that was how I learned. So I sort of got to understand brand could get away with marketing. I suppose, um, certainly in the digital sense, I knew what I was doing, which the majority of the marketing fraternity didn't because 
they didn't work on a digital brand and digital marketing was very new. But when, I mean, if it was like Greg's, you would know about Saucy's roles, I guess. Do you know what I mean? So if it was last minute, don't come, you knew about selling holidays and hotels and theatre tickets through digital means. Um, and then from there on, uh, I went to Barclay Card. It was a finance role. Um, great for the CV, you know, to actually sit down and say, look, I understand how big businesses work. I understand about the agenda. I understand about this massive juggernaut going and I've just got one pinky on it. You know, maybe not even that. Um, you know, the, the, a fingernail. And that's as much as I'll be able to help it. I found that very frustrating because I think I'm a very good number one, two, maybe three, a push. I'm not a very good number eight in an organisation. Um, I just got frustrated really with it. But what I learned there was putting the brand stuff into practice, how big companies work, how big companies do incredible things to like get the message out there, but also the wastage that potentially comes with that. Um, also, I, I learned a lot about staying on target, you know, because you would never change your objectives, like hardly ever. So even if there was, you know, a global crisis, you were very rarely going to change your path. So you'd kind of stick to that. Um, and I also learned at that point internal employee engagement. So that was really starting to kind of 360 brand and marketing for me because branding, branding is fine, you know, the badge and all the rest of it. Brand is fine, but the real secret to great brands is actually great people being excited about the brand. And once that clicked for me, because, you know, we always talked about Guinness at um, Bartley Card, and you can make the best pint of Guinness ever, but when it goes into that pub, and maybe the pub feels a bit dodgy, or the pipes aren't clean, or the landlords are dead, do you know what I mean, whatever. So when you, you do, you add all that up, and you go, well, that's a customer experience, and you don't have a lot of control over that. But what you can do is hopefully work with all the pubs that stock Guinness to get them excited about it and proud to pour a great pint of it and all these things. So yeah, so that was cool. And then and then food and drink happened. So Yo Sushi, I was uh, yeah, just wanted to leave Bartley Card really. It just I knew my time was done. Um, and yeah, wearing a tie wasn't really my thing. And and I was lucky. I picked up a, an old copy of Marketing Week. Um, which is still good, yeah, it's still good. And then in the back, um, it just said, Yo Sushi, Senior uh, Brand Manager, I think, Senior Market Manager, something like that. Um, and then so I thought, oh, great. And I remember, I hadn't been to Yo for years, but I remembered them from 99, 2000, the time I was working with Enemy Lodi, and there was robots going around the, I don't know if you remember this, but there was robots that used to go around, so not the belt, there used to be actually robots serving drinks on tracks oh, on the nice. floor. I don't, don't remember that, no. And it did that. It had, I'm sure it was in there. It might have been in Yo Below, the, the karaoke booth. But it had, like, if you were smoking, it had ash, like, smoke inside it. So you had ashtrays that sucked in the smoke. And you had a beer dispenser. That might have been Yo Below, which was a kind of, almost a karaoke kind of cool version of, of Yo in Pond Street. But yes, you had these robots going around, and I think one hit a, I hope I'm right in saying this, uh, or 
Yeah, so I think it hit a disabled person in a wheelchair. So they had to get rid of them. But what happened as well was after nine o'clock, they started to get a little bit aggro. They, so they would maybe say the odd swear word, maybe, or certainly were quite rude. Um, so they had the Asahi going past the Sapporo or, or whatever. So that was kind of cool. So yes, I remember them, and uh, I wrote them a ransom note. Um, and I just said, help, uh, I've been captured by a bunch of bankers. Um, you know, get me out of here kind of thing. Um, and, and luckily enough, it stood out enough. I was at Blar in Hyde Park. Um, watching, watching them. Um, always worried about my accent. Blur, you know, blur the band. Yeah, yeah. That's blur. The, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so basically, you see them, and then uh, my phone went. I was pretty drunk, and uh, I think I was going to Loon. Picked up the phone. Yo, sushi. Oh, the CEO wants to see you tomorrow. You know, and I'm thinking. So um, yeah, sobered up pretty quick, and, and and started thinking about that. You know, and but I think it was five interviews before it was quite a gang you know, wow. to, to, to sort of get into and I was very much an outsider so that was quite tough to get in there but once you got in it was fine but um it was it was a bit like you know we don't trust you marketers and I think some marketing that had happened before whether agency or in-house or whatever it, I don't know there was a mistrust let's say between them so I had to try and build up those relationships again um uh, yeah, and that's when I started to kind of fall in love with food, really, and got into it. You was a fun brand to be with, um, but then I kind of reasonably selfishly then put myself out into the industry as well. So started doing a lot of talking, um, you know, sort of speeches at Peach or Laterally Propel, RMI, uh, MCA, Fourth Summits, just any, anyone that would kind of have me. Um, just so, and it was so much a tip for anyone who's in this position. If you work for a brand, then it's so much easier for you to network than if you work for an agency. As soon as you say I'm from an agency, like nowadays, and so I have to then track back and go, oh, but I used to work for you, and I used to work for Pret, and I used to work, you know, and they're like, oh, you must be okay then, I think. Um, <laughs> but they'll, they'll just turn away from you, like physically turn away from you at dinner. Um, so do your networking while you're on the inside, if your intention, or just, just do it anyway, but if your intention is to then become a consultant or an agency later on, absolutely do your networking early. But, I mean, that was seven to ten years of, I was only there for two years, but within food and drink, it was that amount of time to, yeah, just, just make sure that I knew the right people, they knew what I did, I got enough scores or, or awards or, testimonials or well-dones or whatever it was, articles, whatever, to, to, to just then say this guy is all right at what he does and that helped you stand out. I think another thing that helped and still helps, I don't feel like I've ever joined the food and drink industry. I still feel like a wee bit of an outsider. I don't feel like the sort of grey-haired, sort of, you know, the, the fraternity, you know, the elders or anything. Um and I think that's been quite good for me because I didn't, I'm not the usual, I worked in a pub, my mum and dad's pub, and then I went to this and then I did, and that's all, that's all really, I mean, superb experience, but I kind of came at it from a different angle, and then I've been lucky enough that I've been accepted, I think, so, but I think it's important that I still keep an eye outside of the industry as well, um, because there's not enough people with a marketing discipline in food and drink 
and and that's because they come up through that route. You know, they maybe put on a few good events once, you know, back in the day, and they become the marketing person. Or the and there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is just being mindful of making sure that you go back to school and you learn the actual discipline because you're probably only operating within a tenth of the possibilities. Um, and then today's classic is, you know, oh, they're really good at Twitter. You know, they work in one of the pubs and, oh, man, you should see their Twitter. And all of a sudden they're the marketing manager and you're like, oh, wait, 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 that's quite a leap, that, you know. Um, but that's that's that's... That's a lack of education all all round, I think. So, yeah, yeah, sure. It's it is definitely an interesting industry because I think for me, you know, I I I guess learnt the craft through my own business, and I suppose you know, running my own business, it was chocolate business, and you know, we were sort of marketing UK and overseas. But you know, you do realise. I mean, all of my knowledge of marketing, as you said, actually came outside of the food industry. It was with mentors and friends and advisors from agencies or marketing background and it did strike me that for such an emotional industry the food industry wasn't putting into place some of the most basic marketing principles and especially the sort of five cents marketing which you know some of the really big businesses of the world do the aroma and taste and texture and all of these sort of things but understanding it from that brand and customer journey level um and so I think I was ex- extremely lucky to meet people in marketing early on who actually explained to me what brand was, because obviously I think, and I, I still get it on a, a weekly basis, people think the brand, like you said, is, is a colour scheme and a logo, you know, and, and that's it. That's where it ends. And I think that, I don't know what you think of of this challenge, but I've always found it interesting I sometimes feel like I'm fighting that a little bit because I think marketing people understand maybe to a deeper extent, they kind of understand that it's this outreach, whether it be through digital or traditional or whatever it might be. But brand is this kind of slightly woolly, soft thing that that people don't really understand. And and there's sort of, you know, guys in, in braces and tweed jackets in London, in Shoreditch, who actually, I think, sometimes put people off branding you know, because they think it's this kind of cool kid thing that people talk about. But actually, it's I, I just think if I was to explain brand and I don't know, I'd, I'd love to know your opinion. But I think for me, it's moving from transaction into emotional purchasing, you know, is, is that sense of moving somebody from just buying something for a price and the next day going to something else but then or creating that emotional connection where somebody actually is seeking out your product or your restaurant or whatever it might be purposefully emotionally and connecting with it on a deeper level um so yeah i'd I'd love to know your thoughts i guess on on brand and how you kind of communicate that as well yeah i mean well you've put it very well um I, i mean i think the thing with me coming where I came from and, and the education that I've had and stuff, I try and make it even more simpler. Like I just go really base on it where, you know, basically I'm, I'm talking to people where I'm saying, you know, well, I, I think I talk about quite a lot actually, uh, Alex Ferguson. So I went to see him speaking a few years ago and he said, the reason at the time, not so much now, but that, you know, man, you were so good was that they only ever thought about three years' time and every other manager thought about, you know, the next game. And that 
is such a good example of what brand and marketing is because brand will have that emotional connection that you talk about and then that will also help you be forgiven for things. So if you look at, you know, there's a great book from years ago called Love Brands or Love Mark. Is it Love Mark? It's called Love Brands, Love Mark. Um, and basically it talks about all these hits that you can take. So, for example, there's some well-loved sandwich chains lately that have had some bad news that, um, you know, basically, unfortunately, so, you know, one person died and all that. But the amount of love that was in the bank for them, you know, that will just help them weather that storm. Whereas if that was a brand that no one really cared about or worse was vilified anyway, then that could have been curtains for them. I think also if you look at Pizza Express in the last few days as well, Pizza Express is coming out as loved as Marks and I mean maybe not quite Apple standards, but certainly Marks and Spencer's and national institution status, where people would be sad if it went. Um and that is something just that you can't really define. You know, it's, it's goodwill on a balance sheet, it's goodwill. But if you think about Flying Virgin or uh, Southwest Airlines or, or whatever, and you think about Flying Ryanair, all of a sudden you've got a picture in your head about the brand. Ryanair's transactional. You know, brands as well, like the brands that are in train stations, but, you know, you've got your upper crusts and, you know, Dilly Stefan and stuff. That, that's a great example of people like the brands, sure, they go to them and all that, but are they loved versus something like a prep? So that's a transactional play versus a, a sort of ongoing, uh, you know, sort of, yeah, just emotional play. So, as I say, the best way I've had it described to me is that a brand is a promise delivered. Now, You've got, like, back to the Ryanair or the Virgin, you know, thing I was talking about, you've got in your mind, in that value exchange of you giving over money, what you're going to get back, what kind of service you're going to get back, um, or what kind of taste, that you know, if it's Heinz Baked Beans versus, you know, homemade or someone's own brand or whatever, you've got a very sure expectation in your mind. So I always thought that really helped. And the way I've always had it talked to me from Robert, been, um, and his, his book's worth getting, by the way, on Amazon. It's very cheap. It's like fourteen ninety nine or something. But it's a great book in terms of being an easy read that tells you how to define your brand. So basically, he, what book? Sorry, just to cut in. What what book was that again, Mark? So it's by Robert Bean, and it's called Winning in Your Own Way. Uh, I think it's got a subtitle as well of like the nine and a half golden rules of branding. I think. Um, and I think the half is always people because people always change. You know, they're, they're, they're variable. Um, but he talks about there being three parts to any business. So he talks about a brand being made up of your culture, your products and services, and your reputation. And if you imagine there are three circles that are apart from each other, then what you need to do is get them to be overlapping. So for you to do that, you need to figure out what the glue is that holds them all together. And that's the bit that you're talking about, I think, which is the, and it can be said in so many ways, you know, the brand DNA, the brand essence, the brand position, and the brand promise, the, 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 you know, it's all the same thing. So whichever, I think Robert calls it the single organizing principle, um, you know, people talk about it in different ways. And I think this is why there is this mistrust 
of the whole thing as well because people get it wrong, they get it too complicated, they they make it sound too like Ponzi, they, they make it sound too unreachable. But I, you know, sort of basically boil it down to about seven. I've got a process of sort of based on robots actually. So you know, he's taught me this over the years, but I've tweaked it slightly. But I've got about seven-ish questions. But I think the certainly in food and drink, some other brands might want it all flowery and exciting and, and you know unreachable and vague. But most of the people that we're dealing with are food and drink operators. And it's operators that usually run the business. Um, very rare that marketers are at the top. And, or even that they've got a seat at the boardroom table. So what operators just want is guarantees. They want sure things. So they want it to be as simple as possible. And they want to know if they put this in, they get this out. But what I'm finding from doing this is the hardest thing in the world is people actually doing it. So you do the work. Uh, and you get it all down and, you know, what's your tone of voice, what's your USPs, what is this in a nutshell, blah, 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 blah. And then you say, right, what are you going to have to do to align your business to these three things? And that's where it gets hard to do. And, you know, then I go in and do these captain workshops where I go, right, captain culture, what do you think we'll need to do to align this to, you know, Captain products, captain services, captain reputation. Um, but it's really interesting that out of, I must have done it for nearly 100 brands now, and you'd be lucky if 20% of them really did it. And a great example is, that's uh, my accent again, but Bills. Bills? Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 Bills, yeah. Not, not the whiskey, the cafe, restaurant. The restaurant Bills, B I L L S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. I say, everyone's like, the whiskey? Uh, and I say, <laughs> yeah. But they've been a great example of doing it. You know, they took it really seriously. Um, with that, there was an identity overhaul, there was alignment amongst the three areas, uh, products and services being one area that's instead of four. Um, and, you know, you can go and look up the figures and, and see what they're doing. Um, and, they, they sort of really meant it. And, and I think that's the, the difference, that so many people will either not do it at all, they'll do it in a while, they'll start it and then never finish it, um, or someone comes in with a better idea or whatever, um, and then the fourth one is they actually do it, and I'm probably being kind by seeing 20% of people do it. So it's disappointing because you've done an awful lot of work to, to, to get it there, but at the same time, I guess you still get paid and fine. But I like to see things live. You know, I like to see, you know, and then there's other culprits where all of a sudden it just becomes a strap line, whatever, you know, and then that's all you just plaster a strap line everywhere. And it's like, right, okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's pleasing. But I think it's like that with any agency. There's probably even advertising campaigns or whatever. You never truly get a, a clear runway to, to, to make it work the way that you want it to work. So that's hard. But yeah, so that, that as I say, I think brands are promised delivered. And what are the two, three, maximum four words that are holding the whole thing together? And are you aligned inside and out to that? And if you are, you know, because if you look at Disney, for example, what is it? 
certainly used to be magic for children of all ages. Kind of says everything, doesn't it? You know, um, and you know that's like, and everyone is obsessed by these words. Um, whereas, you know, the the they're not so, you know, I don't know, melon group or does that seem as sharp? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, and I think this is the difficulty, isn't it? That the frustration, I suppose, for for us and and many other people that are are in the industry is that you know that it can benefit, you know that it can work. It's just, as you're saying, getting people to actually take that step, you know, and and I think it's it's just, it's kind of a human condition. I, I see it within... Uh, you know, business coaching. I've got a lot of friends who who are sort of consultants in general, across many different industries, from sort of finance all the way through to friends who are personal trainers and gyms. You know, and and so there's this this whole spectrum of. I think there's a lot of people that want to do something, that want to improve. You know, look at the self improve self improvement industry and personal development industry. It's huge. But I remember going to see a, a talk. Um, I, I'm just trying to remember his name, Dominic something. Again, marketeer, had his own agency in London. This was about eight or nine years ago. And he did this incredible presentation about brand. And he was, I just felt at the time, he was one of these first people that was giving away all of his secrets. He literally just stood there in front of this presentation and said, this is how I've built brands. This is what I did. And I went up to him afterwards and said, Dominic, that was an amazing presentation, but are you not are you not scared that you're literally giving away your secrets? And he looked at me and went, there's probably going to be two people in this room that actually use those. And and I thought it, it was a really interesting thing. It, it's it's weird. You know, it's like when especially with brand and marketing and these kind of things, you just you. Uh, you know, I've had it with a lot of clients as well, same as you. You go in, you have all these big sessions, you put all the plans in place, you start to do everything, you pull it all together, and then nothing happens. It's, uh... I mean, you, you take your talk to in any industry, right? So you give, back then, you know, if you gave Eat the prep playbook, you give, I don't know, Pepsi the Coke playbook, you give Burger King and McDonald's, they wouldn't be able to execute it. They just couldn't. And yeah. yeah. You know, or Nike and Adidas. I mean, I don't know who's top of those. I imagine and hope it's Nike. I'm more of a Nike guy. But, I, you know, from that perspective, they, they just couldn't do it. And you're right. I mean, we should all be walking around with six packs and, you know, and healthy as you like and all the rest of it. But there is just something in us that stops us. I don't know what that is. Um, I can't explain that one. And I'm, I'm the world's worst for it. You know, I know... I know what's good for me and I don't do that. Yes, I I think it's, I guess it's our own Rubik's Cube to figure it out, you know, and, and I suppose that in our own ways, we figure out little bits in our life and feel like we found another piece of the puzzle and then you move a little bit further ahead and some people are just faster at finding puzzle pieces than others or I, I don't know, I don't know what that system is, but it is it is difficult and I find that, you know, I, I thought for a long time that I could just sort of help everyone and train everyone how to be successful. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that that's not really been the case. You know, it's I can help people that are ready to be helped. And, and that's that's kind of it, really. That's where it seems to end. Um, and like yeah. you said, you know, it's I think even if you go into a business and help in a small way, um, you do as much as you can and you try as, as hard as you can to get the results. But ultimately, it is it is up to 
it is up to the person, the business owner, the team, the management, whatever it might be, to whether they take that on board or not. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. You know, I and, think and it, carry, on. carry on. Well, I, I, I just think it's, um, I think one of the things that worries me the most in business is, is two things, actually. I think there's a ego stroke defensiveness and I think there is um, changing personnel. And I think that that's the hardest thing. I've seen it in a couple of clients even lately, you know, where the directors go over someone's head and they go, oh, God, you've got to come out of marketing's a bit more, you know. And all of a sudden, then they introduce you to the market manager and then the, the walls come down or, the, you know, the curtains go down or whatever it is, you know, and then that's it. Or it is just... You're locked in. You're 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 ready to go on this journey. You're going brand all the way through brand development. You're going through, and then oh, we've got rid of so and so, or so and so is somebody. Oh, you're doing it with the CEO, and then a CMO joins. Who that's not what they wanted, you know. And I think I think that organised. And I think Robert's right back to the nine and a half rule. Um, I think that people think can really hinder businesses like so badly and that's from management team not being able to delegate not being able to tell people they're not doing a good job through talent through um you know people wanting to help themselves to become a better professional to there's all these things so it's um that's the biggest puzzle in all of it because the rest of it is pretty much zeros and ones um, and quite easy to do, but I think it's the, it's the people thing that freaks me out more than anything. Yeah, it's um, true. Yeah, and I, th I think it's, it's well, I mean, I heard a really good analogy recently. A guy called Jonathan Winchester, and he said, you know, in businesses, you've got taps and sinks, you know, and you have to figure out, you know, you need more of a ratio of taps than sinks, and so yeah. you know, it's it's kind of going through that systematic process to figure that out in your business because otherwise, it doesn't matter how good your brand is, it doesn't matter how good your marketing is, but ultimately, if if somebody picks up the phone, you know, and there's there's a sink on the other end, oh hello, you know, that suddenly that energy's lost, the brand isn't transferred, and whether it's somebody in a restaurant serving, whether it's a chef, whether it's a marketeer, whether it's somebody in the office, it doesn't really matter. You know, that, that across the board is all part of building the right people. And, and I think this is where I hear it a lot, which is nice to hear a lot more people are saying, you know, we don't hire for skill, we hire for attitude. And I think that's, that's so important for businesses to look at the attitude of the people that they're hiring, because you know, you can always be upskilled, you can always be trained, but what is more difficult to train is emotional intelligence. It's not impossible. And I think a lot of companies are doing it with mental health in the workplace and employee engagement. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just about to do a piece in a client's business uh, around emotional intelligence, you know, and, and actually doing some workshops about it, because I think it's very easy in a high pressure environment to lose that emotional intelligence and sort of sensitivity and empathy towards the other people in the business. But, you know, as we, you know, grow and develop, I think we all need to be really aware of it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, I think that mental health things, you know, such, such a, a big thing because I don't know if, if it is true, but it does feel that in a working week, you're getting through, what feels like two or three 
lots of weeks worth of stuff. You know, I think it's only getting faster. It's only getting, you know, maybe not harder, but I don't think you've got the ability to switch off as much. I think people are finding, and I certainly find it really difficult to, like, weekend even. You know, I've, like, forgotten how to even weekend because you're sort of in a half-day mode almost or something like that. Um, but I think, again, it's just... And for, for you to be good at anything and for you to be good at any job, I think you have to use that downtime to stay ahead. Like, just never being caught on, you know, being caught napping. Yeah. I think it's one of those things, you know, and that's forever what I'm doing. It's just, you know, lists, lists, lists. What could be the next question? Where could I be getting caught out? Um, where could I be getting this wrong? What's the next thing that's going to happen? Where's the next thing coming from? What's the next speech, you know? And I, I think it's just, it depends how you, who you are as a person, but if you are wanting to be the best at what you can possibly do, um, you know, I, th I think that's a good thing. And I've, I've, you know, and I think, as you were saying as well, just finding out those puzzle pieces, I've, I've been sort of doing a bit of that lately. So I've um, been working with a guy called Mark Pitcher. I don't know if you know. No, I don't Mark know. So, so Mark, uh, he's got a, a podcast a business called smash the box and he's basically um helping people find their purpose um, which i've been sort of working with him on so um i was really interested to understand this process that he gets there and but it's the hardest thing in the world when the mirrors reflected on you you know you do it for businesses all the time but you can see how painful it is for them, and actually you're applauding them because, you know, they're doing that. So that's one piece, um, which was almost a kind of personal piece. And then the second piece was um, going back to school to do this mini MBA with Marketing Week. So it's, um, uh, what is it, uh, 12 weeks. So 12 weeks of modules, you know, going through. But what they've done so well, it's a guy called Mark Ritson, who's kind of the marketing professor guy. Um, but he's been so clever in that he's just taken that 12-week module from the two-year MBA course and just said, you know, just do the marketing bit. You know, don't worry about, I don't know what the other bits are. I'm guessing there's economics in there and I guess there's accountants in there and there's maths in there and whatever. But, you know, I thought that was such a clever thing to just go, let's take, take that slice out. And what that's given me and, and the other people that are doing it, it's given you a further structure in terms of going... You're talking about great brands earlier. Well, the best brands in the world are market or market orientated, and it's you learning those basics again to go. The best brands in the world are the ones that are obsessed about the customer, and you know that's all they care about, like what customers want, need, you know. And it's your P and Gs and your Unilevers, and you know, and this is the ones that you might love some of their brands, but you certainly admire their balance sheet, you know, in terms of the amount of money they're making. Um, and just that approach and being true to doing research and, you know, and all the rest of it. So I, I think that's been such an, not an eye-opener, but it's certainly been a refresher in terms of how this whole thing plugs together. And then I think he's got a brand management course as well, which I was keen to maybe look at next year. But you can't do that one until you've done the first one. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, th I think it's it is that constant case of kind of layering, isn't it? In in many ways, you know, it's more knowledge and developing, and because, you know, I, th I think especially in the digital space, things change so quickly, uh, at such a rate that I, th you know, 
you've always got to stay that little bit ahead, you know, and sometimes, like you said, you know, going back and learning the basics um, and really understanding. And I think for me, you know, I, I sort of did a lot of that by working inside agencies as well, you know, in sort of partnerships and things and, you know, really figuring out what, what is this marketing and branding thing? Because everyone's got a slightly different idea, you know, and, and everyone's obviously slanted more towards certain aspects of marketing. So I, th- I think it is, it's really important that constant development. But I also think it it's, like you said, you know, marketing is marketing, right? It's, it's, it doesn't matter what you're selling, doesn't matter what it is. But then once you get past a certain point, it's then the specificity of that marketplace and really understanding the personas and, and the market and what's happening. And I think the food industry is a really interesting one because there's so much innovation and things now move so quickly. I mean, I remember, you know, years and years ago, going to the International Food and Drink Expo, you'd go and you'd see some of the trends. And sometimes it would take like two or three years and then you'd see it kind of merging into the stores. Whereas now that doesn't seem to be the case at all. You know, literally something comes out in, you know, one of the food mags or it's at one of the expos and suddenly you go back the next year to the NEC or another one and there's like, you know, 20 of the same business that's yep. setting up. So I think that even with the food and drink industry, things move so quickly and there is so much innovation and it's it's a very exciting place to be but I think the only danger for I think a lot of businesses now is and and it happened in chocolate when something becomes popular everybody jumps in it's like everyone's trying to it's trying to board the same boat um so I I think that can be a little bit problematic so I'd kind of love to know your thoughts on the food industry and kind of marketing and and like current what's what's going on from your perspective at the moment yeah yeah, there's a lot in that. I mean, I, I think the first thing I'd say is going back, just be sure how you're compartmentalizing all of this. So brand is its own thing. Marketing, planning, strategy is its own thing. Digital's fine, but digital's just a channel. Digital's just another poster or just another TV ad. Or So what happens a lot is people get them all merged and confused. Um, so just make sure that you've got your brand um, and part of that's brand development as well. So another great thing I've learned from this MBA thing is um, the greatest brands have brand codes. Now, you look back at your brand, whatever it is, you know, I don't mean you personally, but, you know, the brand that you work on, anyone sort of listening to this, and you'll start to potentially see that your brand has got nothing about it. You know, it hasn't got the colour, it hasn't got the uniqueness, it hasn't got the logo, it hasn't got the font, it hasn't... You look at a lot of brands in the high street now and they've got nothing. You know, they've, they've went to, like, looks like Fiverr for their logo um, and they've, they've got nothing, they've got a strap line, it doesn't make sense because there'll be a, I don't know, can't be long before we get a cauliflower concept and but then it'll still be trying to sell you soup, you know, so... I think there's a lot of ill-thought-out stuff in there. And hopefully through the issues that we've saw with the industry, I think hopefully people will be putting their minds to better concepts um, and actually thinking about growth in a slower sense because, you know, the greatest brands are, are, are growing quite slowly. When you look at innovation in the marketplace, so again, this is a product bucket rather than anything else. So there's a product bucket, 
which is innovation. But then on top of that, you've got a product bucket that is more logistical. So you've got something like, um, you know, Gusto or Deliveroo or, you know. So it's, it's, it's trying to just compartmentalise all of that. Now, there was a great phrase years ago from Charles Dunstan, who owns, owns still, I think, Carphone Warehouse, but certainly Five Guys and um, Maud, um, or certainly head franchisee for it or whatever. Um, and he said to Brent Hoberman uh, at lastminute.com, who, who started lastminute.com, um, if you do something first, it's for the customer. If you do something second, it's for you. And although there's a lot of tales of, you know, someone winning X Factor, but the number two, three, four doing better than them, I know that happens in life and, and in products. And But at the same time, I think there's a spirit of that. And what you can see through pretty quickly in the main is someone who's not doing it for the customer. So they just dive on that boat you're talking about and they'll get thrown off or sink pretty quickly um, and deservedly so. So I think that if you're doing it because you think numbers stack up in a spreadsheet, I know that's a utopian sort of view or whatever, but it just makes me sad. And it makes me sad that, um, you know, people that aren't in and around the industry you know, I've never run anything. I've never worked on anything. You know, they just peddle their money in and, and they just want to be able to say at a dinner party that this is theirs. Whereas, you know, you really applaud the Green and Blacks guys, the Cost and Press guys, you know, uh, Mark Palmer and, 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 and the guys over there, you know, from because they know it, they live it, they breathe it, they get it. Um, but when you see the net, I mean, you see it when you go to these food fairs, they're just ten a penny. You know, they it's a natural drink or it's pork scratchings that are made out or whatever or you know so so i think there's i think it's important just for people to be able to take a step back and not just rush in there and just and, and i think what i would say is if you had to choose anything of where you could start from start at a great product and once you've got a great product then look at you know great people to deliver that the brand can come a little bit later on, you know, because if you're an independent and it is just stamped on your coffee cup that it's the federation of something, something, people will just know it's a great place. And actually the worry is you looking too branded will actually take that emotional thing back to what you said earlier on out of that. So I think you've got to be careful. I think the only advice would be is, you know, be like Bleaker Burger or you know, pick your thing. But, you know, Zan taking two years to find the roll in the bread, you know, and actually it was a little dinner roll that wasn't a burger bun at all. And then working with the person to then, that's what it's about, you know, whereas too many people are just going, how cheap can I get it? Or what if I go for that? I've been in brand meetings where people have said, um, we were asked to, you know, I'll say something like, you know, what's your story then? Tell me about all the good stuff and, where this came from and the authenticity and the passion and you know and they'll go oh well we're tasked with making two um you know brands that would that would make money oh right okay shit right, so you're just like you know it's, it's difficult to to then you know you get eight hours in front of you to then actually you know sort of come up with something good yeah. so there's that and then the other side of things is as well 
is then you get into the US. This is why this brand process is so good. And you go, what's your USPs? And they'll go, oh, well, you know that really good beef that you get that everyone uses? And, oh, yeah. Well, we use the exact opposite. Right? <laughs> Great. Is that what people want? Is that, you know, or, you know, you've heard of aged beef. We 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 don't use aged at all because, you know, that's our USP. And it's like, well, but everyone's, you know, sort of brought up on the fact that aged is the right way to go or whatever. Or um, we age it for 100 days. And then when you look into it, actually, the maximum you should age anything for is X or you know, and, and then people say, oh, it's our team. Our team's the best thing. Is it? You know, really? Better than, you know, prep? About it. You know, have they got more arms? Have they got more legs? You know, what's going on? So, I mean, that's where you really get found out. And that's when you find out that it is the top 0.5% of brands that actually, you know, and it goes back to, guess what? The ones that do really great product with a really great team, it will feel like they've got a great brand, but actually it's the other two things that have informed that. And, yeah, they've got a great concept, but, you know, so you name them now, you know, Nando's, Wagamama, Deshum, Hawks, Noah, who else? Pret. You know, I mean, Franco Manco's looking pretty decent at the moment, Pizza Program's looking decent, Honest Burger's looking pretty decent. There's about ten that you'd put your, your house on, and the rest of them you're kind of going... Not sure. So um, it's tough, but the issue is that you've got, you know, sort of average people running uncared for brands that have just lost their way, which is a shame. And, you know, another great Robert Beanism was, you know, you can never shrink a business to greatness. You know, it just doesn't happen, you know, but everyone thinks they can play outplay the system. We'll use cheaper products. We'll use people in zero thing. We'll have cheaper uniforms. Or we'll take that unit in Richmond, but it's off pitch. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, like, but for some reason they think that they're the exception. Yeah, it's very yeah. true. And I, I think it's, I, I find it's almost in a kind of strange way, um, people find it quite funny probably saying this, but almost like the infection of entrepreneurialism in the food industry. Mm. There there has, big, I feel, particularly in the last probably 10 years or so, this idea that suddenly the food industry could make me some money. Whereas I think if you look at long ago, and, and if even if you look at you know mainland Europe, I've obviously chocolatier by trade. I've got a lot of mates over there who are chocolatiers and they have one absolutely beautiful shop in Ghent or Brussels or Bruges and and that's it you know and they might sell in a few retailers but those products are absolutely mind-blowingly incredible you can just taste the care time attention passion exuding from every single ounce of that product but I think then the problem is that when you've had the business industry and entrepreneurs come in and I've always said I'm an entrepreneur by default. You know, I, I left school and I started a chocolate business and that was it. I never started it thinking I want to make loads of money or, you know, I want to turn it into a business. It's like I love chocolate. It's a passion. I'll make it work somehow. And I think that, as you say, sometimes that's part of the problem is that if that isn't coming from the right place, 
and and I think it's true of any product, right? It, I mean, the food industry is particularly um, true of that, I think, because it's such a multi-sensory experience. Um, you can taste good food and it's such a, a deep human psychological connection with our food because we need it to survive. So we're pretty emotional about what we eat. But I think it's it's very apparent in the food industry. Some businesses can get away with it a little bit more and kind of trick people with smart marketing and products. But as you say, it always does come out in the end. You know, you look at a product and you touch it or you feel it or, you know, if it's clothes, you wear it and the seam comes undone and a button falls off and all of these things start to come through. And, and you do look at it and think that's it's obviously there's no passion there. And, you know, scale is the most dangerous word in food and drink. You know, you know, how can we scale this? Yeah, yeah it's just okay. it's the thing that's killed most of it. You know, like, yeah. because you know, it's the old, you know, not getting too whatever biblical or whatever. But I think there's some sort of at least urban legend with a with a you know fat cat American that's on a holiday and sees the guy fishing, you know, and he's having a chat with the guy. I could scale this business for you, and you'll make millions. And he's like, just what? with my son you know so I, I think it's so tempting if you really believe in a product to to go but funnily enough the brands that really should believe in the product are still staying humble and the ones that have got no business believing in the product are the ones that are <laughs> chucking loads of cash after it you know um but I, I just do wonder when people will learn you know the mistakes of the ones that went before you know, but it's just, again, it's human nature, you know, it's when you're standing at the roulette wheel, you know, it's why you chuck on that extra $50 you don't have, or, you know, yeah. people just think, but I, I need, and everyone wants to pay off their mortgage, right? Yeah, that's, no, it's, that's yeah, very true, very the back true. Of the, you know, everyone wants to, but yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough, it's really hard out there, and I think when you've, got a market that's flat if not going slightly negative and you've got far too much supply for demand and you've got the aggregators coming in as well where you can have that perfectly okay restaurant experience in your couch so another thing i was talking about the other day was experience you know people saying about oh you know we're we're, we're going to revitalize our brand and make it about an experience how good is that going to get you know, is, is Pret's service an experience? It's just really good service. Whereas, think what people are looking at in the Instagram age now of experience. It is Inception Group, the Phileas Fogg sort of thing, or, you know, or Swingers, or Putt Shack, or Junkyard Golf, or Flight Club. I mean, that's more of, that's an experience. So, I think having great service should just be a hygiene factor, shouldn't it? With yeah. great products. That is very true. And I don't know if great service alone is going to be enough to get people back into your restaurant that might be failing now. So, yeah, it's a tough, a tough old gig. But so many people don't do the work to start back at the start. And I think that's the thing. If you find... So it's kind of like meditating, right? As an old Buddhist master, and he said, if you've counted to 11, you've went too far, right? So... um. The whole thing is, if you're up counting through to your 10 being success, stroke, enlightenment, 
in the middle somewhere, you're probably going to lose it. Then you go back to zero. And I think that would be the best advice for a lot of people. But what they do is they go back to zero and then they try and shortcut that. They bring in the wrong people. They start So they kind of start due south when they should be going due north or whatever. But, yeah, I think there's a lot in that. Just that discipline of, you know, if, if you're playing golf and you're always slicing the ball, what do you go and address? You address your stance and your swing and every bit of it. It's just the same thing. It's just, it's a process, it's a discipline. But people just hack away, don't they? And are happy with their 90-odd score, you know? Yeah, very true, very true. And and I think the challenge is, you know, most people don't want to do that work. And, you know, I sort of hand on heart, I can say it took me a long time to actually have the business, realised I didn't want it, realised it wasn't fulfilling me, to Ooh. then figure it out. As you say, you, you go back to the starting point. But I think then... Once you've had a few of those things happen, there's that sense that, and I, and I, I say to a lot of people, you know, to read into philosophy and psychology and these kind of things, because obviously, you know, we're, we're a kind of human animal and finding out those needs and the real basis of understanding for why we want to do something. And, and it, it, your kind of example brought back, you know, the, the fisherman, a really good example where I was in a very business mindset at the time and I remember I was in Mexico City it was our biggest export market so I used to spend a lot of time over there and a friend took me to this back street restaurant that looked like it hadn't seen a lick of paint for about 20 years absolute dump you know it's sitting on like garden furniture and there's this handwritten menu and then this guy comes over who's the chef and it's literally him his wife and her brother and and that's it tiny little restaurant probably 35 covers at, at most and it's still today the best meals I've ever eaten were at his place and I at the time I remember saying to him like oh you know why don't you do something you could get an investor you could get this you know big swanky restaurant but you know and he's like look you know I, I studied Cordon Bleu in France I worked at all these Michelin restaurants I worked in Paris in London in Barcelona in Milan all these places but I'm just really happy. He said, I go to the market in the morning. I buy all my food. I come back. I write my menu. Um, I get to be with my wife every day. It's like, I'm I'm happy. Like, why, why, I, I come to work when I want to. I leave when I want to leave. And, and at the time, I don't think I really got it. And it took years for that to really sink in and go, actually, that's a very smart guy who was just very happy with what he had and didn't think he needed a half a million pound restaurant in Mexico City and all the stress and the hassle that came with it. He's just really happy with his little restaurant and he always had the longest queue of people trying to get in because the food was just so good. All starts with product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, So I guess if you were to... I suppose, summarise your advice, two parts to this. One, to the food and drink industry with, with everything. Uh, we've kind of gone through a lot of it, but any sort of parting advice for somebody. And then secondary, um, as a consultant, if there's anyone obviously listening who wants to go into the sort of consultancy side of things, you touched on a few bits earlier, but again, any parting advice? Yeah, well, the food and drink stuff, I mean, I think there's, um, 
I mean, I've always said sort of start now in terms of your networking, getting to know people. I mean, people are so generous with their time and their thoughts and their effort, but you'll know, make it your business to be out three, four, five nights a week, you know, going and visiting restaurants, you know, look at things like hot dinners, for example, that's always got, here's the new restaurants, the openings this week, you know, here's what's going on. Um, Gavin used to sit next to me, weirdly, that runs hot dinners at, at lastminute.com, so he's done really well with that. So, yeah, so I, I think if you want to be part of the food scene, be, be part of the food scene. Um, get to know people. I think be memorable. So have something about you. Uh, think about, not to make it contrived, but think about your personal brand. You know, what is it saying about you online? What you're wearing? What, you know, how do you leave um, people sort of feeling? What do you leave them with? Um, just get involved in a lot of the free stuff. So whether it is speaking or at events, whether it is um, the charity stuff, um, there's a lot of charity stuff going on. You can get involved in nights out. Um, I, you know, attend all the conferences that there are. Just be really active. Um, the downside is it doesn't pay brilliantly. So you know, if you're going to leave financial services or, you know, an investment house and, you know, you're going to drop wages by at least a half. Um, but it depends how happy you want to be. Um, I think the nice thing about the industry is they are an industry of people that make people happy. Um, I think it's hard, though. I think with some people that you might work with, I mean, literally their livelihoods are on the line every single day. And through that doesn't come HR complaints and, um, you know, all these things. You know, you'll get duffed up a few days if you get something wrong. It, it can be tough. Um, there's a lot of emotion that goes with it. I think it's very unsociable hours. So even although you're a marketing person, don't expect to be working nine to five during the week and getting all your holidays and whatever. I mean, obviously take your holidays, but you know, just be flexible um, around when things are happening. It's very knee-jerky. Um, so, again, if you're a disciplined marketer, um, then don't expect it to be, you know, planning sessions and all this. You know, it's it's shit. Sales are down. Sort this out now, um, which can be hard. There's not a lot of marketing budget. I mean, expect your marketing budget to be half to 1% of total turnover, um, which is not a great way to, to, to work out marketing budgets, but it's fact. Um, social won't solve everything. So make sure you understand, because they are still quite bricks and mortar businesses, and there's a lot that you don't do with that. Look for opportunities to add value. So if you're within the industry and, and within the, the, the brand that you are, put your hand up for everything and say yes. And then on top of that, also make sure that um, everything is nailed. So, for example, something they might not be doing right now, you could do as a pet project is something about voice or something about delivery or something about getting onto Amazon or meal kits or gift cards. or Just how could you pay for yourself? And that's how you'll get up the ladder pretty quickly. I think the upsides are, like I think getting career progression can be really quick. You know, it can be really quick. I mean, if you look at Pano at Prep, for example, I mean, he 
was an assistant manager or something, right? And he's just became CEO. Um, within, I want to say 19, I think it is 19 years the other day. Yeah. So, you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, the kitchen porter can, you know, Cinderella can go to the ball and, and all that stuff. So I, I think that's great. You know, I think as much work as you want to put in is, is definitely what you'll get out. And I think there's also so much opportunity for you to start your own thing. Um, in terms of a consultant, I think definitely make sure you've got a great network run about you, like for years before you even think about jumping ship. Um, do a little brand DNA on yourself, get a good name, get a good cred slide, make sure the name is pretty much free across all digital channels um, and also within Companies House. Um, probably try and have about six months wages as a float. Uh, just to give you cash flow, um, you know, just personal stuff like August there was a disaster for most people that I know, you know, it went really quiet. Um, I think Brexit's on the, the thing, but also on top of that, I think people are just more and more winding down the last two weeks of July and then not starting up again to the middle of September. So that's pretty much two months where you probably won't see all your clients, no new business is happening. So just factor those things in um, when you're doing it. Uh, and as you go forward, figure out who your perfect dates are. You know, don't just say yes to initially say yes to everything, and also say yes to free stuff and just to get stuff up and running. But eventually, make sure that you don't. You know what makes a good client for you, and also what you should be saying yes to, what you should be saying no to. I'm still rubbish at that, but I think it's a good advice for people if they can be sure about that. Um, because I think some things you'll enjoy doing, which will make it not feel like work, which means your stress levels are down. If there's stuff you've taken on that you know you can do, but it takes you a lot of energy to get to do that, and you don't really want to do it, that can be stressful. So it's just that, really. Um, and just stay obsessed about your your cash flow and your, your accounts. Get a good accountant. Don't do it yourself. Um, you know, an accountant, for example, just there saved me like tens of thousands of pounds on tax by just spotting a few things. So no matter what they're going to cost you, two, three, four, five grand a year, they could save you so much money. Um, that's really important. Like So that, that is the first thing I would do is get get a financial person. You can do your own invoice and stuff, but get Receipt Bank, get a bookkeeper, and get a finance person. Definitely. Yeah. Get a podcast. Amazing. Wow, thank you, Mark. <laughs> loads, loads of great advice, loads of great content. Yeah, just, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. That's all right. That's all right. Pleasure. And, Pleasure. Um, and just sort of finally, where can people find you? You know, social, LinkedIn, what's what's the best way to get in touch with you? All of it. Yeah. So um, I'm just Mark McCulloch on LinkedIn. I think it's the food and drink marketer, I think it says. Uh, supersonic underscore Inc. I-N-C uh, on Insta and Twitter. Uh, you'll find me on Facebook if you want to, but it's more sort of personal stuff on there. I don't, don't tend to use Facebook really that much for um, business, but I don't think you can do everything, you know. Um, and what else? Uh, yeah, Supersonic uh, Food Marketing Podcast uh, is on um, iTunes and Spotify and Google. Uh, what do you say? Is it Google Podcast it's called? Then, I, think, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then... I've got another series called The Spectacular Marketing Podcast was before that. 
Um, but yeah, I had some fun guests. I've had Mark Ritson, the, the amazing uh, marketing professor. I had Gary Vaynerchuk, um, the much celebrated um, sort of yeah digital powerhouse. Uh, Fatboy Slim, which was really exciting. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. And then just physically, where you'll find me, I'm usually around the Soho area in in, in London. And uh, yeah, I'm in the back end of Brighton. Um, that's where I try to be, but doesn't always work out that way. So we'll see how we get on. So yeah, so that's it. Yeah. Fab. Thank you, Mark. Well, I'll put all of that in the description below. Um, but yeah, like I said, just thank thank you so much, and um, you know, hope it helps some people out there figure out a little bit more about consultancy and the food and drink industry and it's it's a very exciting industry to be involved in but has its uh has its pros and cons like any other so um yeah just thanks for all your advice pleasure no thanks thanks for having me thanks so much no worries cheers mark see ya